0: This is the Building Resilience Podcast, Episode 118, How to Sleep Better, Part 1. Welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast, where you will learn all about building resilience in yourself and helping others build it too. Drawing from the principles of positive psychology, neuroscience, and coaching, I will help you face all the challenges and adversities that life throws at you and help you do more than just survive. I will help you thrive. I am your host, Leah Davidson, and I am a certified life coach and speech-language pathologist. I will help you manage your mind, your emotions, deal with your stress and your overwhelm, and lead a more purposeful and joyful life. Let's get started. Hello, my friends. I hope everybody is doing well. Before we get started on today's exciting topic... I just wanted to make sure that you're aware that my free video series, 30 Second Solution to Burnout, is available. It is four short videos that helps you understand what burnout is and a really fast solution that you can use. It not only helps you with burnout, but it also helps in stress in general, and it can help everybody. It is geared more towards helping professionals However, it is the secret for all of us of how we can reduce the stress in our lives. So check it out. The link is in the show notes, and I hope you enjoy it. Now, today we are talking about sleep. How often do you say to yourself or hear somebody say, I'm so exhausted, I'm so tired, didn't sleep well last night, I can't fall asleep, I can't stay asleep? Well, at some point during the week, I am guessing you have had a conversation with somebody about sleep. It's kind of like the weather where we're like, oh, nice day today, or sunny day, or it's too hot or it's too cold. Or So we talk about it, we can relate to it. Let's look at what the statistics are for sleep and why is sleep such a big thing. And I am going to draw from some of the stats in the U.S., but they are very similar to the stats in Canada, and I'm taking them from the Sleep Foundation in the U.S., Almost half of all Americans say they feel sleepy during the day, at least half of the time. About 42% of single parents end up sleeping less than seven hours a night. We have 35% of adults report sleeping less than seven hours per night. So, sleep plays an integral role in health, and a good night's sleep empowers the body to recover. And it lets you wake up refreshed and ready to take on the day. But unfortunately, a lot of us have sleep problems. We don't get the rest that we need. And insufficient sleep and poor sleep quality can be due to a lot of reasons. There can be sleeping disorders, medical conditions, and really mental health challenges. And sleep issues really affect people of all ages. And the impact can be pretty far-reaching. Now, it is interesting to note that women have a lifetime risk of insomnia that is as much as 40% higher than that of men. So there is really a trend of increasing problems with sleep. And just in general, we are not getting enough sleep. And that's why I wanted to dedicate today's episode as well as next week's episode all about sleep. Now a lot of what I'm sharing with you today comes from the work of Matthew Walker, who is a professor of neuroscience and psychology at the University of California in Berkeley. He's a very famous sleep researcher. And then also Dr. Gina Poe. She is over at UCLA and she also researched in particular how sleep impacts learning and memory, which of course I find very fascinating. Now Walker has said that sleep is the foundation on which the pillars of things like diet and exercise are built. And sleep is very closely linked to our immune health, our immune system, and it's closely linked to the prevention of Alzheimer's disease. Overall, sleep or lack of sleep, insufficient sleep, places you at higher risk for heart disease, for cancer, for infection, for mental illness and memory impairment. Now, sleep also impacts our mood, our energy level, and all those things can in turn in fact our relationship. So it's pretty big deal, and that's why I wanted to talk about it. Anything that impacts our emotional resilience, our ability to thrive emotionally and physically, I want to be talking about. Now let's talk about some of the mechanics, some of the basics of sleep. Our sleep goes in 90 minute cycles. And there are two types that we go through. The first type is called non-REM, which REM stands for rapid eye movement. And the second type is REM, rapid eye movement, again. So non-REM and REM. Now, within non-REM, there are actually three stages that we go through. The first stage is kind of where we transition from awake to being asleep. So it's very light. You can almost think of it as kind of dozing. In the second stage, this is kind of this transient state between dozing and then the next state of deeper sleep. Your body temperature drops, your heart rate begins to slow down, and slow-wave sleep may start to occur. And then the third stage of non-REM sleep is where you'll find the blood pressure drops, your breathing rate drops, there's deep, slow-wave sleep that starts to occur. And this is a state where actually our brain is being cleaned there's a big restorative effect in this stage, the third stage of non-REM sleep. Now the REM sleep, the eyes move rapidly, dreaming occurs, muscles are paralyzed so that dreams can't be acted out. And as I said, we cycle through them. And all these stages take about 90 minutes each cycle. So perfect night sleep is about four or five of those 90 minute cycles. Now, because I'm also an SLP and I am so passionate about memory, in fact, I actually have an online memory course that I am just finishing up and I'm gonna be releasing soon for many of my clients. If anybody's interested in improving their memory, that will be available as well. It's all online. It has a nice workbook. There's a bunch of videos. Anyhow, that's just a side note. But because I am a SLP and passionate about memory, it fascinates me to learn that studies suggest that the quantity and quality of sleep have profound impact on learning and memory. And research does suggest that sleep helps learning and memory mainly in two ways. Well, the first way is basically a sleep deprived person cannot focus attention optimally and therefore you just can't be learning efficiently. So if you're not getting enough sleep, your frontal cortex is affected, your concentration then is slowed down and this can in turn affect the encoding process. So the getting it in your brain stage of memory. You cannot encode what you're not attending to. You can't get in your brain what you're not paying attention to. Now, secondly, the research suggests that sleep has a role in the consolidation of memories. Consolidation takes place during sleep through the strengthening of neural connections that form our memories. And consolidation is really essential for new learning. It takes place during the second stage of non-REM sleep. And it's basically like we're transferring files from our short-term memory to our long-term memory kind of like we're hitting a save button. Then during REM sleep, it said that this stage is important for learning. Our brain is able to integrate and associate the information with other information that we already have stored. Now, They're not quite sure about how sleep makes this process possible. Many researchers do think that there's specific characteristics of brain waves during the different stages of sleep that must be associated with particular types of memories, but they're not really sure. However, they do know that sleep is important for consolidation, for bringing those memories together, to saving those memories. And this happens in the earlier part of the night. Now, sleep can also help us process emotions. It's also a great boost for creativity. This is where we can start linking things together. We can start connecting related things. It's kind of like we're going through like all the folders in our mind, and we lump together what's similar. Sleep also helps with mood. It protects our immune system. It's a protective bubble for our overall health. And it helps you feel refreshed and energized and it helps you be more resilient. You are better able to face challenges in your life and your relationships also improve. Now again, I want to get back to a little bit about sleep and memory because sleep is particularly important in the prevention of Alzheimer's. This is probably a big one for many people as I know as our population ages, many of us want to be doing things that will protect us as much as possible in the future. Now, most researchers believe that Alzheimer's is caused by an accumulation of amyloid plaques. And these amyloid plaques are generally cleared away and metabolized by glial cells. And Lisa Genova, who's the author of the book, Still Alice, which is about a woman who develops early onset Alzheimer's, she's also a neuroscientist. And she calls them, I love this, the janitors of your brain. And these janitors work the night shift they can get going during deep sleep. Now it's a powerful cleanse for your brain. So if you're not getting enough sleep and enough deep sleep, these janitors can't go to work. And a single night of not getting enough sleep can lead to an increase in the amyloid and other biomarkers that are linked to Alzheimer's. So you keep this up night after night and your risk of Alzheimer's increases. So not only do you want to do things that will work on improving your memory, such as that's why I created this course on how to improve your memory and learn about your memory and exercises for your memory, but sleep is very important for your memory as a preventative method. So you want to be keeping your brain healthy now so that your brain can be healthy later. Now, a big question is how much sleep do we need? The average is between seven to nine hours of sleep for adults between the ages of 16 and 64, and then adults over the age of 65, they need a little bit less sleep. So seven to nine hours, anything less is actually detrimental to our health. And in case you are wondering, Matthew Walker talks about how you cannot save up sleep or catch up on sleep. So this idea of social jet lag, of going to bed early during the week and waking up early and then having late nights and sleeping in on the weekend is actually not good for our bodies. It actually prevents good and natural sleep. Now, sometimes we are completely sleep deprived, so you may end up sleeping longer longer initially and that's okay. For example, you may find when you go on vacation, you may end up sleeping a lot more initially. But generally, we don't need more than nine hours of sleep unless you're a kid or a teenager, in which case it's normal to need and want more sleep. But if you're consistently finding that you need more sleep, then it could be that something else is at play. Either there's something else going on or maybe your sleep is just really inefficient. So there's something that can be done about that and you might benefit from a sleep study. Now, the next thing to consider, and this was really surprising to me, is the importance of getting to bed around the same time each night. I was fascinated to learn that it's during the first 90 minutes, that first cycle, when there is a big bolus of growth hormone release, which really helps, again, with that memory consolidation. So you really don't want to be missing out on this phase. If you miss that time, it's not like you can go back and make up for it later. So if you normally go to bed at 10 o'clock and 10 o'clock happens, the growth hormone is going to be released between 10 and 1130. But say later you go to bed another night at midnight, you essentially have missed that release that usually happens between 10 and 1130. Because we have a clock in our body that knows when things should happen. And every cell in our body has a clock and these clocks are synchronized. And so our cells are ready to respond to that growth hormone release. And if we miss that time, your clock has simply moved on to the next phase. So there are phases that happen as the night goes on. And if you miss them, you miss them. Consistency is important. So you need to have these consistent bed Times and wake times. And Dr. Poe, she's the one who talks about the importance of consistent sleep, which is where I heard it from. She said that one of the markers of good neurological health as you get older is the consistency of times. So you want to make that a priority. Now, there is also during the night, the early part of the night, where this washout of your brain happens. In the first part of the night, we are doing a clean out of the brain. Dr. Poe has this great analogy of having a party and you need all the partygoers to leave so you can clean things out. And if you don't have time to clean up after the party, then the next night, you're gonna have more clutter and it builds up day after day and it's gonna impact your cognition. So if you go to sleep later, you miss this washout. Your sleep will have moved on to another phase based on your clock. So it doesn't delay it and wait for you. The ship has sailed. You have missed the first couple of ports and you'll have to fly to another port to catch the ship later on. Now, that being said, if everything shifts, meaning you go to bed later on a usual basis, If your usual time to go to bed is at midnight, then the early stages for you will be starting at midnight. So everything does shift. However, there is some evidence that says that going to bed earlier like within four to five hours of sunset, is actually better for your health overall. Getting up early too, so you can get that important sunlight early in the morning, which we've talked about before on the podcast. That was in episode 114, the five pillars of physical and mental health, where I talked about the importance of getting that sunlight early on. Now, the second half of night is usually where we have this deeper sleep, and that's where we're gonna have a lot more dreams. The REM sleep is the deepest sleep. And during this time, we're actually paralyzed. And we want to be paralyzed during this REM sleep. Otherwise, you will end up acting out your dreams. Now, what about napping? Is napping good or bad for your sleep? And the answer is it depends. There is research to support the power of napping. There is research that suggests that napping can help with a few things. It can help improve your cardiovascular system. Decrease blood pressure and improve your ability to remember new things throughout the day. The hypothesis is that consolidating even a few memories during a nap can actually free up space for consolidating other new things later on. So it kind of helps you retain what you've already learned and to make some space for what you're going to be learning. Even a short nap can restore your general level of alertness and focus. So it's kind of like recharging your phone during the day can give you an extra boost. However, if you are going to nap, you want to nap within certain parameters. The ideal nap time is 15 to 20 minutes and at the very most an hour. And you won't, don't want to be doing it too late in the day, so no later than 3 p.m. If it is too late in the day, it can really impact your sleep at night. Think of it like the neurochemicals that are responsible for sleep are kind of building up during the day. And if you take a nap too late in the day... Or for too long, it's like you've already released the pressure and those chemicals get released too early and then there's not enough that have built up for you to go to sleep later on. So a short nap can be helpful and it can be done proactively or reactively. They've done studies to support the idea of a proactive nap. So think of it like when you have little kids and there may be a big night ahead of them so you may want to put them down for a nap ahead of time. It has been shown to be beneficial. Of course, the next day can be beneficial too when they are overstimulated and they need to catch up on that sleep. Now, often people tell me that they just can't nap, that they could never fall asleep for such a short period of time. And as I've talked about on the podcast before, there is this term that was coined by Dr. Andrew Huberman of non-sleep deep rest. Now, non-sleep deep rest is an umbrella term for practices that people use to direct their minds into a state of calm and focus. And these techniques are not intended to induce sleep, but instead they're intended to relax your body to help you get into that dreamy, semi-focused state that occurs just before drifting off when you're still sort of awake, but your awareness of space and time isn't totally under your conscious control. So the idea behind non-sleep deep rest is that getting yourself to the sleep light state for a short period of time actually lets your brain rest quite intensely. And this can help you feel restored to take on the rest of your day and can actually give you a major energy boost feeling more energized isn't the only benefit of non-sleep deep rest. Huberman notes that 20-minute non-sleep deep rest sessions can actually help the brain learn more quickly and increase how long you retain information due to the practice effect on neuroplasticity. So interestingly, the research has also shown that non-sleep deep rest can actually help you get better sleep come bedtime. What it does is it teaches you how to relax. You are practicing relaxing. And this can help you fall asleep and get back to sleep at night if you wake up. If you are interested in learning more about non-sleep deep rest, then just Google Huberman. And on YouTube, he has created a short video that can guide you. It's basically like a body scan where you're focusing on relaxing different parts of your body. I usually just tell people, just lie down and rest your eyes. Don't worry about falling asleep. Just let yourself drift off, relax your body. And I personally have this as my own version of non-sleep deep rest. I do it almost daily. I'll just set an alarm for 10-15 minutes. I'll just lie in my yoga mat that is behind me in my office and I just rest my eyes and allow myself to drift off. All right, another really important component to sleep is our access to sunlight. And I've also talked a bit about this before. First thing in the morning, getting light is so important when the sun is still low, sort of within the first hour or so, it's critical. This helps with the setting of our circadian clocks. Light first thing also releases the stress hormone cortisol, which acts as a wake up signal and it promotes wakefulness and helps us focus throughout the day. Now cortisol, we know it as the stress hormone, so it often has a bad rap, but it's better to be getting a dose of this hormone earlier in the day. So this morning exposure to natural light, it improves sleep at night and alertness throughout the day, which are both really important to your mental health. Now, it's recommended that you get anywhere from 5 to 30 minutes of this early morning natural light, depending on how gray it is outside, depending on where you live. You want to try to get as much as possible You go outside, and this is actually outside. It's not the same if you're looking through a window or wearing sunglasses. So get outside. You can combine it with a morning walk. Take your dog for a walk and get that light. Now, we also want to talk just a little bit about supplements and helping you get to sleep and stay asleep. Matthew Walker, he does share some of the research about melatonin, which is something that a lot of people are talking about. And he says that for younger people, we think that it helps the quality of sleep and the duration, but it actually doesn't. He said, if you are going to take it, he recommends no more than 0.5 to 3 milligrams. Now, of course, I'm just sharing what these recommendations are, but he also mentioned, you go talk to your doctor about this. I'm not recommending any kind of or providing any kind of medical advice or what you should be taking, This is just his recommendation, and he also advises you go and you see your doctor. But if you take too much melatonin, then your brain can actually become less receptive and may stop producing your own melatonin. Now, melatonin is actually helpful or more helpful in older people, simply because the amount of melatonin that older people produce naturally reduces. So you just want to be careful. It's actually not regulated in the U.S. and Canada, so read the labels carefully to know how much you're actually taking. Now, in terms of caffeine and alcohol, with caffeine, the timing of it seems to be what matters most because it has a half-life. Caffeine has a half-life of about 5 to 6 hours and a quarter-life of 10 to 12 hours, So as Walker says, a 2 p.m. coffee is like taking, having a quarter of the caffeine still circulating your brain at midnight. So it's like you're pouring yourself a quarter cup of coffee right before bed. Now, caffeine can interfere with the quality of deep sleep, so you then won't ever get restored or refreshed when you're sleeping. And what can happen is your sleep is not restorative, and then the next day, you will actually need more caffeine to keep going. Now, what about alcohol? Alcohol is actually a sedative, and sedation is not sleeping. You may mistake falling asleep quicker after a couple of drinks, but you are really just drifting into sedation quicker. And what also can happen is your sleep can be more fragmented, it can impact the quality of REM sleep, it can really impact your ability to process and learn new memories as well. So you do want to be careful about what you're taking to help your sleep and help your wakefulness. The amount and the timing matters. Let's talk briefly about jet lag because this is something else where people struggle with. I don't know about you, but as I get older, I find jet lag gets harder. And I've seen with my kids that some are actually better at handling jet lag than others. So there are individual differences, of course. But essentially, jet lag shows you how you do have these little clocks in your body. And jet lag is a mismatch between your internal clock and the new zone that you have arrived in. And apparently, it takes about eight days to completely adjust, according to Walker. So there is no real cure for jet lag. Now, some tips include that you want to set your watch to the new time zone as soon as you get on the plane. You want to try to sleep the first half of a long flight. You don't want to wait until the end of the flight to be trying to fall asleep. You can try to take melatonin about 45 minutes before you want to try to go to sleep. And the recommendation is to stay away from caffeine and alcohol. When you do arrive, you want to try to get as much morning light as possible. And if you have to nap, try to do it early in the day for about 10 or 15 minutes just to take the edge off. Getting physical exercise and activity earlier in the day is what is recommended. And you want to try to be as consistent as possible with bed and wake times. Try to be up for at least 12 hours. All right. Lastly, let's talk about what is the problem with our sleep? Why are we not getting the sleep that we need? Well, there are many reasons and some reasons can be too much screen time, not getting enough exercise, poor diet, lack of darkness. These are all things that we often come up with as to reasons why we're not getting enough sleep or people will say, well, my kids, my pets, These are the reasons why I'm not getting enough sleep. But one of the big reasons why we struggle with sleep has to do with my favorite topic of stress. If we are running around feeling stressed and burnt out during the day, it will leak into how we feel and function in the evening. How we spend our day impacts how we sleep at night. That is good news because we have some power over how we spend our day and we certainly have power over managing the stress in our lives. But I'm going to stop here and I'm going to pick up on the next episode. In the next episode, I will give you some more practical tips on what you could do for sleep. Today, I just wanted to provide you some of the background, what the research says about sleep, the challenges we are having with sleep. And next week, we will dive into some practical tips on what you can do to sleep better. So I will see you next time. Have a great week, everybody, and enjoy your sleep. Thank you for listening to the Building Resilience Podcast. If you're interested in learning a little bit more about managing stress, building resilience, and leading a more purposeful life, then make sure we're connected on Instagram and Facebook at Leah Davidson Life Coaching. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter at www.leahdavidsonlifecoaching.com forward slash newsletter. Looking forward to connecting.